he's had a long-term vision for his brand and he focuses on getting better and better and better month after month. Revisit uh, your childhood. What were, the, what were the activities that you repeatedly and voluntarily did when no one was forcing you to do them? No one was judging you or grading you. No one was telling you to do them. What were the things that you continually turned to? Because that's who you are. Life isn't in a ladder progression. It's like a tree, you know? It, it, there are certain years that it bears fruit. Other years, it, you know, it's still growing outward in, in different ways. The most successful people are the ones who don't care as much about the result. They're, they're only focused on the process and how much fun the process is. And as a result of that, as a side effect, they do amazing work. The quote is, ever since I stopped worrying about finances, I've made more money than I ever thought possible. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more on building optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. And hey, while you're at naturalstacks.com, visit the blog post for this episode. We're going to give away three copies of Charlie's books. Book number one will be Play It Away. That will be an audio download as well as a PDF uh, download that accompanies it. And Charlie's also going to be hooking us up with um, his book, Recession Proof Graduate. So three of you guys listening will win. All you have to do to enter is go to the site, uh, naturalstacks.com, blog post for this, and share this episode of the OPP. That will enter you to win two books from Charlie. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. This is an amazing episode of the OPP. Charlie Hoon is a really, really smart guy, really, really in touch with some of the important things in life. And we're going to dive into basically two really cool topics. Uh, one is on how to improve your networking abilities. Charlie's got an amazing resume. He has worked with Seth Godin, Ramit Sethi, Tucker Max, uh, Tim Ferriss, very, very closely. And he's going to outline for us on this show how he got um, involved with these folks and tell you exactly how you can sort of level up with your social network. And uh, we also talk a lot about play and how we can build that into our lives. Uh, that's something that's really important to Charlie, as you'll hear in this podcast. So a little bit more on Charlie, his bio. Um, he's the head of author marketing at Book in a Box. He was the marketing director for Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Body book. He is the author of Play for a Living, uh, Recession Proof Graduate, and The Anxiety Cure. He's a keynote speaker who has spoken at the Pentagon, multiple U.S. universities, U.S. military bases, TEDx, 
His work has been published on Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Noah Kagan's websites, in Forbes, on Lewis Howe's School of Greatness, The Art of Charm, many other um, top-level platforms. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, Charlie is the guy who can help you understand how to, you know, get your message or get your network to where you want it to be, uh, he's speaking from experience and he has a lot of amazing tools in his arsenal uh, that he openly shares with us on this show. So I, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Um, as you listen to this, if anything jumps out at you uh, and you want to share it with the folks in your life that you know who will benefit from and enjoy it, please do uh, share this episode of the OPP and the OPP in general. Make sure you go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this along with all of the links and resources that we talk about. Uh, Charlie mentions a lot of different books and blogs and tons of resources that we will have links to for you on the blog post for this podcast. So go to naturalstacks.com. It'll be under Charlie Hone, H-O-E-H-N. And last but not least, make sure you go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free Natural Stacks products. You know, we, we always ask you guys for the reviews. Um, and, and the reason that we do that is these reviews really help our rating on iTunes, which is sort of the gold standard for podcasts. The more reviews we have, the more iTunes thinks the show is better. And we want to incentivize you to do that with the uh, giveaway of free product. So it really helps us if you leave these reviews. It doesn't have to be long. Take five minutes, leave us a review. We will read all of them on the air and we will send you free product uh, because we are super grateful. So here's one from Jonathan K. Uh, Jonathan says, howdy, just listen to the AVR podcast number 105 on a flight from St. Louis to Oakland. And as always, you did a great job. Keep up the work. Jonathan, thank you. Uh, shoot me an email, ryan at naturalstacks.com, and we'll hook you up with whatever you want from Natural Stacks. And uh, remember, book giveaway on this one. So as you listen to this, Charlie's got amazing information. If you want a copy of his book, you can either go buy it or you can enter our giveaway and win two of his books plus a PDF download for free, naturalstacks.com. All right, I'm done talking. Here's Charlie. Charlie, welcome to the OPP. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. So for our listeners, uh, let's kind of start at, at a high-level view, and then we'll really dive deep on this concept of play. Um, you've got a fascinating bio. Our, our listeners just heard that in the introduction. Um, you've done so much, and, and you've had the opportunity to study under so many high-level people. How did you make that happen? Well, I made it happen out of desperation. I, I graduated from college during the recession and I spent months applying to more than a hundred jobs, never got a response really. Uh, so I, I was feeling pretty dejected. And so I, I just said, I'm, I'm only going to work on stuff that I care about for the next month. And I'm going to reach out to people that I admire who are doing interesting work. So I started by reaching out to Ramit Sethi and then ended up working with him, uh, ended up 
working with Tucker Max after that, both of them recommended me to Tim Ferriss and he and I worked uh, for years together. But um, yeah, it was out of desperation and I just was pitching those, those guys to help them with what they were doing and offering my skill set to help them get there faster. So I want to ask you two questions related to this before we move on. Um, you mentioned that you pitched them, you approached them. These are people who get approached by countless people every single day. Yeah. What strategies did you use to make your pitch stand out? Yeah. So, uh, well, first, um, if anybody wants to read the exact pitch email that I sent to Tim, it's available online. Uh, if you Google the 12 lessons learned while marketing the four hour body. So you can see the exact correspondence we had, but basically what I do, what I did differently than most other people, most, most people will, will say, Hey, I'd love to work for you for free. Just tell me what to do. Um, I'd love to help and be involved. I just really admire you. Um, in exchange, maybe you could mentor me or something like that. Um, and that's, that's a bad email because you're making them do the work. You're telling them, hey, think of something for me to do. Uh, and you're also putting a really heavy cost on that offer, which is, hey, will you mentor me? Um, I never said that. I've never asked anybody to be my mentor ever. Uh, it just happens as a side effect of being around them. Uh, so what I, what I offered was something very specific. I said, I really admire your work. I've noticed that you're trying to do this. You know, you, you're working on this book. So I'd imagine that you're trying to hit the bestseller list or you're trying to sell X number of copies or, um, whatever. Right. And, and then I would say, I think, it, I think there's a, a potential hole in your current game plan or your current efforts. Um, so for instance, with Ramit, I said, I can tell that you're, you're really ramping up your marketing efforts for your book launch. I noticed that you've done some video in the past, but you, you don't really do it very often, but it's really good. It's really compelling when you do it. You're probably not doing it because it's cumbersome and it's, it's a lot of work. Why don't I take that over for you? I've got a background in videography. I've done this, this, and this. Um, here's a link to my work. How about I take this over for you for free? We'll give it a, a trial run for one or two months. We'll see how we like working together. If you don't like my work, forget it. You know, you don't have to use it. There's no, no uh, ill will from me. And you can go about your life. But if you do like working together, let's talk about how we can work together on a more formal basis in, in, a, in one to two months. And that's what I said to all of them. And that works really well. It removes all the risks. Uh, it absolves them of any guilt they might feel for saying, yeah, okay, work with me for free. Um, and I wrote, I wrote about this technique in Recession Proof Graduate. I kind of laid out exactly how, how people can do that. Uh, and it's worked really well for a lot of people. Um, and this is something that 
tons and tons of really successful people have done as well. Everyone from Warren Buffett to uh, Jim Carrey to, you know, you name, I mean, that's, that's, that's how Hollywood operates basically, but um, yeah, it works really well. Yeah. You know, I actually just saw uh, Gary Vaynerchuk put something out last week about uh, using Instagram for networking and he Mm -hmm. laid out an almost identical template for people to send direct messages to uh, anybody on Instagram that they want to work with. So his example was somebody who does video. He said, look, send a message to Chance the Rapper, send a message to, you know, make a list of 100 people on Instagram, 100 rappers or hip hop artists or country or whatever. And, you know, he said, you know, send them a template, say, you know, uh, I've got a background in video. I can make 30 second videos for your Instagram account for a year. We'll take you from 2.9 to 7 million followers. I won't charge you a thing. And it was, it was very much what you said. And, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's cliche to say lead with value because that's so vague and not specific. And it's easy to just send a blank blanket templated email. That's it's very generic. And, and I think you highlighted something very important to look at what their specific task is. Where's their mind right now? What, what's going to really resonate with them when they see that in their inbox? Oh man, this can help me with what I'm working on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I, I remember reading an article of somebody who did exactly what you or, or what Gary just described as uh, he, he loved shooting video with his drone camera. And he reached out to his favorite musicians and ended up traveling around the world with them, uh, making little clips with his drone camera at their concerts. And, and funny enough, Gary was actually one of the first authors I ever consulted because of the exact same offer that I'd made other guys. You know, after Ramit and I marketed his book, we reached out to Gary and and said, Hey, you know, we'd love to love to connect. We think we can help you with your upcoming book launch. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I, I see a lot of people uh, trying this and the, and the things that they will occasionally get hung up on, or they, they'll wonder why it's not working, um, is they, they will offer to do free work, uh, on, in an area that they aren't skilled in. Um, so you have to be able to show uh, that you are good at something and not just tell. And it, it, it requires effort to get there and it requires some thought as well. I've, I've seen people offer like, Hey, I, I noticed your, your business is online or whatever. Uh, I'd, I'd love to redesign your website because your website looks like it's from the nineties or something. Right. And, but they're not a web designer. Right. So they'll just put together something in Squarespace, which maybe for some businesses that'll work, but you can't, you have to actually have some skill uh, that, that you can legitimately jump in there and, and do stuff with. So, right. And it has to be better than that person's skill in that area. It has to bring up significantly. Right. Yeah. So um, circling back to the, the pitch letter that you sent to Tim, for our listeners, uh, I will find that link and we'll put it on the show notes. Um, either I'll find it or I'll get you to send it to me, Charlie. Uh, but speaking of the blog post for this episode, um, we will be talking later in this episode about uh, Charlie's books, Play It Away, Play For A Living. 
Uh, we're going to do a giveaway. You guys will be able to win uh, an audio download, uh, audio version of the book and a PDF download uh, that accompanies it for um, Charlie's books. So make sure as you listen to this, kind of make a mental note that you are going to go to the website, naturalstacks.com, visit the blog post for this, and you'll be able to get all of these resources that we talk about as well as enter to win that. Um, but we'll get to the play in a little bit. Right now, I still want to talk about some of the hustle aspect. Um, you, you have had the unique ability or opportunity to um, spend time with these high performers, these high level people. When you think about, uh, and, and I don't want to turn this into a name dropping thing, but when you think about your time with Tim or, or Ramit or, or Gary, any of those people, what are some of the big like single lessons that you took away from maybe two or three of those people? Oh, I've been asked this question. I, I need to like formally write something out because I've been asked this question a lot. And each time I'm like, I don't even know where to begin because uh, I and learned so much from from all of them. Well, uh, that that should be uh, it's a book idea for you, right? Like what I learned. From <laughs> what I learned from X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. Ramit, I just I've I've it's been really cool to to see his progression over since because he and I started working together in two thousand eight, right? Uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And now it's 2017, and he's one of the more reputable, um, like, content creators in the world right now. It's unbelievable. And if you look at his at the way his website started um, back way back when, um, it's it, you you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that this guy was going to build a really successful business that really impacted a lot of people's lives. And I think what I learned from him, cause he was, he was kind of the first, first guy I worked with was um, he, he had a really long-term vision for the brand. And even though I will teach you to be rich kind of speaks to uh, people who don't have, you know, wealth, and, and it might might be like ooh, it, it work from home type type audience. His his material is anything but that, right? And so he's he's had a long term vision for his brand, and he focuses on getting better and better and better month after month, um, and it really shows. So I've I've just admired his ability to continually level up uh, both as a person and as a business owner uh, over the long run and to continually do that. With Tucker, I just as a, a human being, um, I've learned you should never judge a book by its cover. Uh, he, if, if everybody judged him based on his most popular materials, which most people do, they would just assume he's uh, a narcissistic ass and uh he's uh, he certainly has those qualities in him but don't we all <laughs> like we we all have these uh these traits and and um he's he's been one of the most loyal uh and generous friends uh, i've ever known and one of the most supportive people um the amount of emotional intelligence he has um 
in he's 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 been a proactive mentor in my life like he goes out of his way to mentor me to help me with with areas that he sees me struggling in before i even ask for help um and that's made a real impact on me not only in how i see him as a person but also has given me pause and and to think of how i can do that for others you know to to reach out and to help them um with tim uh tim gosh he's just a force of nature you know he's he's just incredible the, like he he makes these he would make these jokes back in the day of like you know and it's, it's why i wanted to work with him because i just i i knew he's a really smart capable person um and but he would make these jokes like you know i'm on my 14th minute of my 15 minutes of fame with uh with the four hour work week and then the four hour body hit then the four hour chef hit then tools of titans hit you know and he had his own tv show and he has another tv show coming and he had a tv show before that and um uh, setting a goal, <laughs> setting a goal, an ambitious goal for yourself, uh, is something I really learned from, from Tim. And I don't, I don't have, uh, as strong of, uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm a different person, right? I, I don't have as strong of a, like, desire to, to, you know, conquer and set these lofty goals, um, but I mean, I know that if you do, you can accomplish amazing things. So I, uh, I, Tim, I'm most indebted to, um, he's, he's been super supportive and, uh, yeah, he gave me, he gave me, I think what I learned from him, he, he gave me so many assignments that were out of my comfort zone that I don't think anybody has built up my confidence more than him apart from my parents you know wow uh, that's powerful yeah what were some of the things that stretched you the most oh definitely um you know i four hour body was was not like a thing that i didn't think i could accomplish you know i when we were editing that I I was helping him edit that book and then we launched the book which are two very different modalities of work right um so editing the book was physically taxing launching the book was mentally and physically taxing because you're having having to coordinate all these different details and like get everything right and it's all a very big rush um but we but we, we did both and I thought you know it, if, if anybody can do this, it's us. We can, we can pull this off. Um, the opening the kimono event, I thought really stretched my limitations, uh, in what I was capable of. Like nothing scared me more, uh, than, than the lead up to that event, because it was 130 people all across the world who'd paid $10,000 to come to an event uh, a four-day event retreat in Napa Valley. And my experience in event planning before that was throwing a kegger in my garage 
in college. So uh, it, it was it was daunting so, to say the so, least. But so you uh, probably you actually had to implement a lot of Tim's like accelerated learning tactics to become effective at, at doing that. Yeah. I mean, Tim's much more methodical than I am. I'm just like, I'm, I'm in a frantic rush <laughs> to just figure stuff out. Um, he, yeah, I mean, I, I asked for help and I got it. Fortunately, uh, this, this woman named Susan Dupre, uh, who, who's a great friend now, she, she reached out and she actually said, um, I'd like to help you guys for free. Uh, here's my resume. I helped Steve Jobs launch the original iPhone. I uh, worked with James Cameron. I have. Uh, I used to work with the cast of The Sopranos and planning their events. I used to work with Julia Childs. Like she had a ridiculous <laughs> resume, right? And and at first I was like, this can't be. This isn't a real person, right? Why is this person? Sure enough reaching out and, and willing to do it for free. Yeah. And you know why? It was really smart when I realized why she did that was she, she did an amazing job. And both she and I got all the credit for pulling off, uh, not all the credit, but we got a lot of credit for, for pulling off a great event. And I truly couldn't have done it without her. Um, so we, uh, yeah, I mean, she was, she was amazing. And that leads to more work and, you know, more influence, more impact for her, which is, again, it kind of circles back to what you were saying at the beginning, you're offering to help people with something for free. And yeah, I mean, like, if, if your number one issue in getting somebody to pay you 20 to 50 to $100,000 for planning an event is, they need to know, like, and trust you first then she made the best possible move she could have made, right? Mm -hmm. She just gained the trust of 130 people who are potential buyers. Wow. That's a great example. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about play. So mm -hmm. you've got uh, the book, Play It Away, and then the recent project, Play for a Living. Um, how did you sort of get into play and, and why did it become something that is obviously so important to you? Yeah, uh, I, I got into it because I, I deprived myself of it for a long time unknowingly. And um, I went through a period, I used to think of, of it as burnout, but for, the more I've learned about burnout, the more I've come to understand that it's really just clinical depression. And um, the, I, I, this was after the kimono event where I just felt exhausted. You know, I, I had been on these pills these uh, that had kept me awake for the majority of the event. Uh, so over the course of four days, I slept a total of six hours. Um, and I was still able to function because these pills are really powerful. But when I got back, I just physically fell apart. And um, I... It was after that point that I kind of had a, a, an emotional and mental shift in, in work and thinking, okay, things are, things are about the bottom line. Things it's, it's time to be productive. It's time to be successful. It's time to be, it shifted away from like, I just want to do this stuff because it's fun. It's, it's exciting. It's meaningful. Um, and I just need enough money to keep that game going. 
to it, it became very much like numbers driven, results driven, like very serious. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really operated that way in my life that I could really recall. Everything was kind of approached differently, except in school. You know, there are certain things that you just have to behave that way. But um, so it, I went through a long period where there's it just kind of felt like more of a grind than uh, the the pleasure of, of doing work you're really proud of. Um, and I, I quit my job with Tim because there was, a, like on one weekend, a family member died, a close friend attempted suicide. Uh, the book that we were working on, the deadline got um, extended six months and just physically I was exhausted and it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just felt like I can't, I can't really keep going. Uh, right now. I just, I, I can't envision myself like snapping back and being okay. Um, so I just need to stop. And, um, thankfully Tim was really gracious about that. Uh, it was just, but it was, it was really scary to quit that job. Um, and I took some time off. Sorry, were you going to say something? I, I just, I was going to say, I'm sure, I'm sure that was a scary thing to, he seems like, you know, there are some people where like, I, I would like, like a Tim or a Gary V to, to go to them and be like, wow, like, you know, dude, I, I need to, I need to take care of my own health. I need to, to, you know, slow down. Like there are some people where I would be, afraid to say that to because they seem so like almost like a machine in, in their, yeah. in their drive and their ability to, to do that. Like you said, he's a force of nature, but I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, what did, you said you, you were getting ready to say, like you took that time off. I mean, what did you do? What was, how did you recover? How did you kind of bounce back and, <laughs> you know, find yourself again in that kind of sweet spot of doing it because you want to not because yeah. you're chasing the bottom line. Well, you know, I I wish I could say Ryan that I was really uh, smart about it and I uh, took care of myself, but I didn't. And things actually got worse because I I realized like oh my god, I don't have a paycheck coming in anymore. I'm li- living in downtown San Francisco. Uh, what am I thinking? And I was I was worried I'd burned a bridge. I I didn't know what I wanted to do next, and I felt really guilty that I wasn't working and uh, being productive and and doing something meaningful. And so, like I had these sudden like aspirations, like I got to do something significant. Like I got to. And I remember at that time, Facebook just purchased Instagram for a billion dollars, and um, I was talking to a friend, uh, my friend, Chad Moretta, and he was, he was launching a book called app empire. And I read his book and I really, I thought it was really interesting. And I was, I was kind of fascinated with the whole app space. And I was like, well, you know, this could be a fun thing to learn for a while. And, um, and he, his, he had another, uh, guy working with him named Jason Adams and all three of us, we're just like we knew our our stuff in marketing, and so we launched a product um, a couple months later called the App Empire Online Course, uh, which just taught people how to build your first app and to create your your first business uh, as as an apppreneur. And uh, 
we, that did really well. Um, we did it. I, I directed the, the course, the video course. Uh, so I just kind of was behind the camera and, and telling them what to, what to do and stuff. And, um, I edited a lot of the, the course and then we sold the course for $2,000. Uh, and it did about 2.6 million in revenue over the course of 10 days. Um, and I remember the next day, you know, just walking on the beach by myself <laughs> in, in a very dramatic fashion. <laughs> um, but just thinking like, gosh, I still feel the same. I still feel kind of like this, uh, I can just beat up inside or, or like there's kind of this hollowness that I just can't really get my head around. And I took a little bit more time off and over, <clears throat> over the next year, I tried everything I could find to get out of this state where it, things had gotten really bad uh, because I was chronically sleep deprived. I was having like panic attacks. My, my body was, uh, just overly sensitive. I, I, I suddenly was like kind of fearful in social interactions and like, I just, I, I constantly had this sense that people were like judging me or, uh, trying to manipulate me or pitying me like that. I, I never, I was paranoid. Right. Um, and it was like, I, I just had never really felt that way before in my life where I had this like constant sense of dread. Um, my, my heart felt different. My, I couldn't breathe the same. I, like there was just, it was different and it was miserable. It felt like hell to be honest. Um, because when you have panic attacks, it's like your brain's like, you're going crazy. You're going to die. And it, that feels very real. Um, so it's frightening. So I was trying to get, I, I was, I kept that a secret. No one really knew that I felt that way. My girlfriend at the time kind of could tell something was going on, but, um, anyway, so I, I was trying everything to kind of remedy this and, and get myself back to normal. And so I was meditating, I was doing yoga, deep breathing, journaling, volunteering, seeing a therapist, seeing multiple therapists, uh, trying every supplement, exercising, fasting, you know, you name it, nothing really helped. And it was really frustrating because I remember spending money on a six week course for men who are struggling with anxiety. And I got through the course and I just, I still felt the same. And, uh, just thinking on all the things that I'd tried, all the money I'd spent, all the energy I'd put into figuring out this problem and feeling like, well, uh, the rest, you know, this is, uh, <laughs> I make the joke that everybody always said to me when I was a kid, like, just wait until you get into the real world. <laughs> and if that was the real world, then I, I finally got it. And uh, I just didn't see any, uh, I, I didn't look forward to the rest of life, you know. Um, and the the turning point was when I just stumbled across a book at, at Tucker Max's uh, apartment called Play by Stuart Brown. And I read that book 
and uh, in one sitting. And the the book was fascinating because it's about the evolutionary benefits uh, of of play. Why why do mammals play? Why do humans play more than any other species? Um, because you can actually you can deny work, right? Like work is something we put upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, a child won't work if given the opportunity, but you can't prevent. It's very difficult to prevent human beings from playing like that is as effortless and natural as breathing. And it's a huge part of our development process is what's allowed us to thrive as a species. It's, it's, um, it, it, it allows us to gain skills that actually keep us alive, but it also encourages us to explore our environment. It, it allows us to develop empathy and compassion. Um, it is how we learn. It is, uh, it is how life is continually fun and exciting um, rather than a joyless grind. And I, as I was reading this book, there, were, there was just so many fascinating things, light bulbs that were going off. Like I was reading these, these studies that they'd done where serial killers in jail, when they were revisiting their childhood, they realized all of them had been chronically deprived of, of play during their entire childhood, like restricted. Uh, that that they'd done experiments on chimps and rats where they gave them everything they needed to survive. So love, uh, food and water, shelter, uh, but they would stop them from playing and all of them would grow up to be socially and emotionally crippled. They would have these disorders uh, that, where they were afraid of their environment. They were afraid of their peers. And I just started to put the pieces together and thinking like maybe play is actually the solution. And there was a, there was a line in the book that said the opposite of work uh, isn't, or, or the opposite of play isn't work. It's depression. And when I read that, I just thought, well, maybe I just need to reincorporate play. And there's, there's an exercise in the book called uh, the play history exercise, which is you just revisit uh, your childhood. What were, the, what were the activities that you repeatedly and voluntarily did when no one was forcing you to do them? No one was judging you or grading you. No one was telling you to do them. What were the things that you continually turned to? Because that's who you are as a person. That's, that's what you're naturally drawn to without any of this thinking going on up here. That's just who you are. And so I I did that exercise and I, I realized like the things that I have always been drawn to are like baseball, playing catch and home run derby. Uh, I've always been drawn to uh, playing practical jokes. Uh, I have always been drawn to creating my own art and building things with my hands. I've always been drawn to um, like filming funny sketches with my friends. So doing things where we're like being, being playful, making things up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started giving some thought like, all right, I'll, I'll just do these things for as, as much as I possibly can. So it started the next day when a friend introduced me to uh, his friend in Austin. And he said, Hey, um, uh, this guy emailed me and he said, Hey, Charlie, like we should meet up, let's grab coffee. And 
I, I just thought for a second and then I wrote back like, why don't we go play catch at the park uh, instead? And um, we, we ended up doing that and it was great, of course. Uh, and, and, but I came back to work uh, on, on my laptop later that day. And for the first time, I really had this feeling like a little bit of a weight had fallen off my shoulders, you know, whether it was in my head or, uh, physically, I think, because before that, you know, I was, I was going to the gym and, and kind of grinding things out and it was another job, you know, it wasn't like an, a joyful activity. Uh, yeah. And so I, I just started doing that more and more each day. I would, I would incorporate something. So I was doing practical jokes wherever I can. I started filming sketches with my buddy, Tim. Uh, and, and that's what ultimately led me to signing up for improv lessons. In for somebody who's struggling with anxiety or depression, improv sounds like a nightmare. Uh, but it's, it's one of the best things you can do because improv illuminated this this handicap I had in my mind, which was constantly judging and criticizing myself uh, and saying, no, not good enough. And uh, like improv forces you to say yes to literally everything that happens to you and be cool with it and act like it's the perfect thing that's happened to you. And and that's like, that's how life is when you're a kid, you know, dude, that's how, that's how you are when you're a kid, whatever happens for the most part, you're cool with, and, uh, you run with that and reverting to that state really was, uh, I don't know. It's just within a month, I didn't have any of the symptoms that I was just talking about. It, it they just kind of vanished and it was easy. It was really fun. <laughs> and it was, it was uh, liberating. That's a really powerful story. Um, so there, there's a lot in there for our listeners to sort of pull out, digest, uh, implement. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting as, as you talk about, you, you mentioned kind of grinding it out at the gym. I, I think that's one thing I really want to highlight because I think a lot of us have, you know, as you said, sort of at the beginning of that, you tried everything. You tried the meditation, the breathing, the gratitude journaling all those things that we build into our daily lifestyle. And it's not to say that they're not good practices, but a lot of times they can feel forced and you can feel like you're doing it to get a certain benefit. Like you're doing it as a means to an end uh, where, you know, a kid doesn't do that. When a kid plays, it's just, Hey, there's a ball. I'm going to dribble it. I'm going to throw it repeatedly up against this wall for 30 minutes and, you know, that these are things that we don't do as adults. And uh, a few episodes ago, we, we sort of started to touch on this uh, on the podcast. I believe it was episode 107, maybe 105. It was Adam Van Rothfelder. So if you guys haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. But, you know, we, we, we talked about sort of like uh, maybe a surfer taking a CrossFit class to sort of decompress or, or a CrossFit athlete. Um, you know, CrossFit is not play if you're a CrossFit athlete, but if you're a professional surfer and you just show up to a, a CrossFit gym and you have fun, then that is play or it could be play. It's more about the intent that we have as we go into an yes. activity. So, so that same, like the CrossFit athlete who goes and surfs, the surfing may be fun and relaxing where for the surfer, if you're Kelly Slater or Laird Hamilton, 
if it's a competition, it may not be play. Um, and I think like uh, your point about going to the gym and grinding it out. So many of us have these things in our life where, where we run or we hike or we go to the gym and lift. And I've been as guilty as anybody of thinking, all right, I'm getting movement. I'm getting activity. I'm going and lifting, but it's not play. It's not the same thing. And you know, I was really lucky. Um, uh, you know, last week, uh, we went up, we, my, my wife's father, has been ill and we went up and visited them. She took him to a doctor's appointment. Uh, we took her to, uh, took him to her sister's house and his, her sister cuts his hair, shaves him. And while they were doing that, they happened to have a glass backboard basketball goal. And it was like set at like eight feet and there's just a basketball laying there. And I'm like, all right, while you guys do this, I'm going to go outside. And I'm, I was just like a kid. There's a ball, there's a low goal. I'm just going to dunk. And I did that for five or 10 minutes and the entire time I have the biggest grin on my face and it completely changed my demeanor. Your physiology changes, your outlook on life changes, everything changes. And sort of like you said, you know, these, the next time I was back at my computer, I was in a completely different mood. I had this project that had seemed like uh, a source of stress and then I couldn't wait to get back and knock it out. Um, I think it's, it's, I'm glad that I had that opportunity to experience that before we recorded this show, because I, I think it really highlights for me how important and how powerful it is. And, uh, you know, for you guys listening, I, I love what you just said, Charlie, about, um, you know, from, from the book play where you, you think about what you did as a kid and that, cause that's who you are, like do those things. Cause that's what I did as a kid. We used to lower the basketball goal and dunk and play home run derby and, um, you know, some of my best memories in college are, are playing home run derby that we used to do as kids. And right. I think that's awesome. So, um, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions as you, as you researched and wrote the book, I think one of my big questions is what happens between childhood and, and adulthood? Why, why do adults stop playing? Why do we lose that, uh, that passion, that, that uninhibited ability to just, drop what we're doing in the moment and just completely shift gears and go into play mode? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, there's a flood of testosterone at a certain age that just fundamentally shifts your behavior for guys, right? So you've seen Stand By Me, right? The movie? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, do you remember the, the end, the final line of the movie? Oh, I haven't seen it in a while. I don't remember that. Um, let me look it up because I don't want to... Yeah. Yeah. So the final line is I never had any friends later on, like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? And, uh, I think there's this shift at a certain age that it is, uh, you know, a biological or a physiological change in, in how, uh, how we operate it. It becomes much more about status, right? We re instead of being just friends, like we measure ourselves in terms of status and, and prestige and where we kind of fall. And there's, there's good in that. But if, if you lose touch with who you are, it, it, if you're, if you're solely driven by status, it's, it's just, man, it makes life brutal. <laughs> And, and miserable. And, that, and I think it's, it's easy for somebody to say that if they haven't 
attained status or achieved certain levels. And I think the, the most powerful thing about the story that you've already shared with us from your experience is, I mean, you're, if you want to call it your low point, but that, that worst point for you right before that turning point was right after a multi-million dollar successful launch, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not like you're saying, you know, oh, I was broke and poor and didn't have things like you certainly, you know, from, from that status, uh, I guess, pursuit, you know, externally one would see, oh, well he made it or he got where, you know, what we're chasing. But as most of us find out when you chase that thing and you get there, it's, that's not what leads to fulfillment uh, no. in life. No one will remember me for that launch. Right. They'll remember me because I made them laugh or, or something, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the the thing is, you know, yeah. I I think the way that we kind of go through modern life of every every year's another level. So you're you're constantly under this illusion for the most formative years of your life that every year is a level up. And if you're not constantly on this forward linear track in life, then you're doing something wrong, right? Which is why people freak out when they haven't made a million dollars by 40 or they haven't gotten married by the time they're 30 and they haven't had kids and traveled the world by the time they're 35, right? Like, but life isn't in a ladder progression. It's like a tree you know there are certain years that it bears fruit other years it you know it's still growing outward in in different ways and your question's a great one it's just difficult to answer because there's so many different things going on it's a bad thing to measure yourself uh by like a profoundly sick society and i think there is a lot of sickness and that comes from like the society that we live in and in how many, how many stories are there of people who got exactly what they wanted and succeeded on a wild level and were miserable at the end of it, mm-hmm. you know, it's super common. So being, being a person of significance rather than of success is a lot more uh, sustainable, I think. I like that significance over success. Um, Charlie, where can our listeners get more of you? Oh, they can get more of me where, wherever I am. Um, <laughs> no, they can, if they uh, look me up on Google, I, uh, Charlie Hone, uh, if you want to read the original posts about uh, how I overcame anxiety, just Google uh, anxiety cure should be the first thing that comes up. Um, and I'm also on Amazon. Uh, my books are there and I guess we're, we are doing a giveaway. So. Yep, we are. Uh, you want to explain that? I, I would actually love for you to explain (laughs) it because whatever, whatever you think is going to work best, um, I'm happy to do. All right, let's do this. So you mentioned that you can get the, you can have the book available for our listeners as an audio book plus a PDF download. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's do that. And let's say three people, three lucky listeners will get a copy of that book. 
Um, and it'll be the book, Play It Away. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, I'll throw in the audio book for Recession Proof Graduate as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and that one talks more about some of the stuff that we, we highlighted in the beginning, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for you guys listening, go to naturalstacks.com and on the blog post for this podcast, we will have an entry form and that's where you can sign up and enter to win this giveaway. And, uh, we'll put a, I guess what we'll do is we'll make the entry, uh, what you have to do to enter is share this podcast so that we can help this story reach more people and help more people learn how to, uh, make themselves more useful as a human uh, and help more people, but also to incorporate play into their lives and, you know, sort of avoid those pitfalls that, that so many of us fall into. Um, you know, everything that we've talked about here, this, I think this is a super helpful uh, episode on, on so many different levels. So, so Charlie, I'm, I'm very grateful for you sharing all of this information with us. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. A couple other questions for you. Um, mm -hmm. These will be a little bit more rapid fire, less deep. Um, sure. The last practical joke you played. Oh, great question. And what was the last prank or practical joke you remember me playing? Uh, um, on me? Just in general. I'm, I'm asking my wife right now. <laughs> Stand by. I'm trying to remember. So maybe you haven't been playing enough recently. Well, yeah, I mean, so we had, we had April's fool. I'll tell you, we had April fools, uh, recently, semi-recently. And, uh, I, w I work at book in a box and Tucker Max is the, the co-founder of the company. And one of the things that drives him crazy <laughs> is if, uh, people post a question in the wrong Slack channel, <laughs> like it drives them nuts. And so I had a spreadsheet laid out for every single person in the company to ask a question in a wrong channel. Uh, on that day, like it, it, I had the time slots that they were going to post and we were just going to watch him like lose his mind, but it was, it fell on a Saturday. So we were like, okay, we have to save this. Uh, and I know I've pulled other, I, I pull a lot, but I can't, that was, that was the last one that I like, I remember putting some thought into. I, I love that because we use Slack at natural sex and, yeah. and I can totally see like people losing their shit over that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What about you? Oh man. Uh, well, I'm not a huge practical joker. Um, I think like the play thing, I, I, I told you the, uh, the, the basketball goal and, and some impromptu dunking, um, which I think for me, that was like, I sort of built into the question I asked you where I am now more aware of play. So I'm trying to be more open at any given moment on any given day to just drop what I'm doing and play for five minutes or 10 minutes. Um, yeah. and we, we live at the beach and, nice. uh, we, my wife and I, this was the, it, it, the yesterday, this past weekend was, it was the first weekend where we were both home, not traveling, not working in like a month and a half. So we just said, you know, both days we're going to the beach, spent two or three hours each day at the beach. And, and as I'm on the beach, you, I, I just, I watch people. I, I like to see what people do and, and how they uh, engage with their world. And 
it's so fascinating to watch kids at the beach. They're just, they're, they're doing flips in the sand and they're rolling around, they're doing whatever. And, and adults, you can tell that they're just there to sort of decompress, get away from everything. And they're just kind of laying <laughs> right. still. And it's like, you know, I see these kids like real, real small children and they're just, they have no regard for, for how sandy they're going to get or, you know, and I can just like, I see, I saw one kid, they were sitting Indian style in a, uh, in a circle and the one little boy just does a backflip. And, um, it, I'm like, you know, that's so cool. A from a movement standpoint, because, you know, that's my background, but then, you know, the, the mentality of that is like, Oh, I could do that. And then immediately my first thought was like, Oh, I get so sandy. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, where, where does that happen? you know, in our evolution. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess play uh, for me would be like the dunking and, and, and going to the beach and, and just sort of getting in the water and just doing, doing dumb shit in the water. Like, you know, whatever, like you, when you watch a kid playing in the waves, yeah, they do stuff that adults don't do. Uh, and I've really, really started watching children. Um, you know, we recently traveled and I heard a kid at the airport telling another adult that wasn't his parent, you know, that, we, we, we live in Virginia beach. There's a big Navy presence. So this guy, this kid's father is, is a, a pilot. And this kid was saying, you know, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. And the conviction that kids have with their dreams is, is so strong. And it's, it's incredible to me. And, you know, that's one of the things I've been kind of meditating on is at what point do we lose that conviction? Um, and, uh, and there was another one where the kid was on the beach and he was practicing his home run swing. So if you grew up playing baseball, I'm sure you, you used to do this. And, you know, he had his wiffle ball bat. He didn't even have a ball, but you could just tell he'd practice his home run swing. He was watching it. He'd salute it. And then he'd flip his bat. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, kids don't practice failure. They practice success or, or they, yeah. they visualize success. That's a great he, wasn't, point. he wasn't visualizing striking out. He was visualizing hitting a home run. And, and I just think that like when, when you go through life like that, it's just, it's, you're going to be so much happier and so much more successful. Um, so I think uh, for me, it's, it's watching that, looking for examples like that and trying to, to sort of build that into my life. Um, I love that. I think that's what you just said of kids, kids practice for success and not failure. Uh, I think, I think that's the exact reason, um, that everybody should at least try improv at least once just to be aware of how often your mind is bracing for failure. It's just, you have no idea how often it's, it's actually happening until it gets pointed out to you and you're forced to do the opposite of it. Um, and then you know, what you were talking about with the kid practicing his home run swing made me think about, there's this crazy documentary called uh, Trophy Kids and it is the most like depressing thing to watch because I, I loved baseball from a very early age. And by the time I was 18, I just, I was like ready to quit mm -hmm. because each year it gets uh, increasingly more competitive and more of a job, yep. and more of a thing that's just like you forget why you were doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And Trophy Kids shows like these kids who are raised by these maniacal parents who are who see their kids as like the future tiger woods or the next michael jordan and they treat them as like look you got to get up early on saturday mornings and i'm going to verbally abuse you for the next three hours and make you it, it's it's like it is a symptom of like our society of this like win above all else rather than like fun 
should yeah. come first. And I think the irony is, and that's why, that's why I, I did the book Play for a Living, is the most successful people are the ones who don't care as much about the result. They're, they're only focused on the process and how much fun the process is. And as a result of that, as a side effect, they do amazing work, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's this weird paradox where if you take your eye off of what you're like ultimately trying to accomplish and, and just focus on like enjoying the process as much as possible, you end up doing amazing work. Yeah. I love it because, you know, coming from health and fitness, being a strength coach and, and, and helping people with like their nutrition goals or their workout goals. And I always told them focus on the action, not the outcome. And, and so many people in that health and fitness dieting realm, the goal is, is outcome-based. And I've always said, you know, like, look, if your goal is to lose 10 pounds in, in a month and you get to the end of the month and you lost nine pounds, you're going to view that as a failure, which it's not. I mean, you lost nine pounds in a month. That's great. But if you look at the actions that are required to make that happen, you know, I'm going to eat right 90% of the time. I'm going to learn what is eating right. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to not buy junk food. I'm going to buy the right foods. Um, you know, I'm going to work out X times a week and, and you make those things happen. Not only will you be more successful in the short term and you, you sort of, you deframe, you know, good, bad, failure, right yeah. or wrong, and, and you focus on, on those actions, but you're building healthy habits into your lifestyle. And this, it's very fascinating to me you know, entering the, the world of business now, uh, or to, to see that sort of process entering the world of business. And, and, you know, people like the, all of the guys that, that you've worked with and, and the stuff that you're bringing in with play for a living, play it away. And, uh, I think it's so cool. And, and you hear so many entrepreneurs and business people talk about it. I mean, I know Richard Branson comes to mind and, and a lot of other people. And, and it's, it's weird to think that like, okay, I'm going to have the most success by not focusing on outcome or success, but uh, yeah, it's a powerful totally. shift. It is a powerful shift. I was, I was lucky enough to be on uh, James Altucher's podcast recently, and we were talking about uh, this, this exact topic. And he said, you know, I really feel that I wasted 10 years of my life being focused on money. And he, he was like, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I wasted 10 years of my life worrying about money because when I stopped doing that, um, and, and, and the reason, the reason he said this was because he read, uh, a quote by Brian Cranston in play for a living, the guy who played Walter White in breaking bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he, uh, the quote is ever since I stopped worrying about finances, I've made more money than I ever thought possible. And that's, that's like the exact dynamic we're talking about is being so focused on the, the number rather than the, the work that creates the number as a side effect. So I just want to highlight that. That's, so that's Brian Cranston in Play for a Living. Uh, and that's uh, your, your latest project. Yeah. It's the, the coffee table book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, your website that where people can find all of these books, would you prefer them to go to Amazon or go to your website? It's so play for a living actually isn't on Amazon yet. Uh, okay. but if you look up charliehone.com, uh, there's, there's a page called books and that's just a link to, to all my books that are available so far. We launched 
play for a living on Kickstarter. So I'm still fulfilling those initial orders right now. Gotcha. So for you guys listening, uh, if it's easier for you, just go to naturalstacks.com on the blog post for this. I will have links to everything that we've talked about, all the resources, all of the websites, um, yeah. blog posts and everything. Uh, last you, question. You've given me you've given me an idea though, Ryan. I'm I'm just thinking now, like it would be nice to it'd be nice for me to keep track of how many practical jokes I play throughout the year and yeah. just have like a running list of that. Uh, cause I, I listen to a podcast, uh, that is totally just like a guy's type of podcast, right? It's, right. it's called the big three podcast where they, it's just these three guys, uh, and the, and they just mess with this one guy, like the whole podcast. Like it's, it's all it is, is, is them setting him up to get angry and lose, <laughs> lose his mind like as often as possible in the most ridiculous ways possible. And like, you know, if my wife listened to three minutes of it, she'd be like, this is dumb. Mm -hmm. But I love that stuff. And it's, I, I find it so funny to push people's buttons and to get them, to get them going. So I think I might, I was thinking of the, you know, the Seinfeld thing that was the Seinfeld calendar thing that went, yeah, it's an entrepreneur circles a while yeah. back, like just marking off every day. Did you do one thing that that made you laugh sort of thing? I like it. I yeah. like that. Uh, final question, Charlie. We want to know your top three tips to live optimal. And I'm guessing play <laughs> is one of <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I would. Yeah, I mean, I, I would honestly just say, like, uh, get enough sleep play, uh, with friends and, uh, get, like eat food. Like don't, don't freak out so much about, uh, doing everything right. I think just if you do those three things generally, like you're going to be pretty happy. Um, the, the thing I think most about is, um, <coughs> The I think about uh, the power of clan. It's this book on where they they looked at parts of the country that were very high in cardiovascular disease and very low. And this one part of the country stumped the doctors because they were like, "Wow, this these these people have such low rates of cardio disease, and and they're doing everything wrong." You know, they're eating tons of meat. They're they're very inactive. Uh, they work in like coal mines and stuff. They smoke like chimneys. They stay up late, uh, getting wasted all the time. And the the one thing they really had was uh, a tight knit community. It was it was a tribe of of people that really took care of each other and. I think that's the biggest struggle uh, with the, with the the shift, the cultural shifts we've had, right? Of of work changing to be much more freelance. Everybody's a freelancer, or a contractor, or a consultant. It's harder to have a regular tribe of people that you meet with every day and surround yourself with. Uh, plus, the nature of a lot of young people moving all around the country, uh, so it makes it tougher. But I th- I think about that a lot of how can, how can you build that community around you and, and, and have that. So if you, if you can pull that off, I think 
the, the times I'm happiest are the times where I find I have that strongest in my life. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a very powerful thing to be surrounded by like-minded and, and, you know, supportive, positive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great way to end it. Charlie, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing all this information. Um, for you guys listening, go to naturalstacks.com. Blog post for this episode will have all the links uh, and resources for you to pursue and follow up on, as well as the giveaway. You will get the audio and the PDF for Play It Away, as, as well as the audio for Recession Proof Graduate and share the OPP with anybody that you think of in your life who will benefit from the things we've talked about today. Uh, And of course, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like this show. And if we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free Natural Stacks products. That's it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Charlie, thanks again, man. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it, man.